I can remember standing by the wall and the guns shot above our heads. David Bowie. Hello, hello. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Felonious Pundits. I'm Kintad Svensgaard, and along with me, as per usual, please say hello to Mr. A.J. Mass. Hello, you. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Hey, uh, A.J. Yeah. I've been thinking about doing this all night. I got to tell you, this podcast, I am so excited and ready for. Folks, this is a podcast about the television program Criminal Minds. We recap each week and take an in-depth look at an episode of the show. The little thing is, is that I have never seen these episodes as we watch them. So I'm giving you a a very fresh first-person watch, first-watch perspective, and... uh, AJ is what we like to call our grizzled veteran. He has seen each and every episode many a time, and I'm very interested to hear that perspective this week, uh, re-watching this particular episode, which I would assume you do not skip in your normal rotation of uh, episodes. No, I mean, I mean, if if I'm going to watch last week's, <laughs> I'm going to skip this one for the resolution. No, this is this is good. Sometimes I'll watch and I'll, I'll have people call me like you know. Arthur Johnson, and you know, let's make up AJ uh, things. But I got to keep those initials because, you know, monograms are <laughs> expensive. That is right. Uh, folks, this week we are talking about season three, episode nine of Criminal Minds. And this was a very different episode of the show, if you will, a pit stop entitled Penelope. <laughs> I'm old enough to get that reference and oh, 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 oh. I apologize. So uh, <laughs> uh, that was dastardly. Uh, this episode was directed by Felix Akala and written by Chris Mundy. And it originally aired on November 21st, 2007. Uh, I'm excited about this one, AJ. Let's just get right to it. You think if uh, when he was writing this episode, if he made a mistake, he used a wacky eraser? Oh boy! What was the name of that big hillbilly family in Wacky Racer? Remember those guys? Uh, Anyway, we old. After a previously (laughs) that was uh, just there, basically to remind us of the Garcia storyline last week, we open up uh, pretty much very soon after those events at Garcia's apartment, and now the police and the paramedics are there. And the camera gives us a very interesting viewpoint as if we were Garcia ourselves. We're sort of fading in and out of consciousness with the camera and the sound design. I thought it was a very clever, the usual criminal minds type of shot. And she's watching as her neighbor tries to give the responders the details of what happened. And the paramedics are trying to comfort her. and They're asking her name. She manages to tell them. The neighbor then tells the cops she thinks that this this woman works for the FBI. They got her on a stretcher and up into an ambulance. And we then cut to a quick shot of 
JJ working at the BAU and Hotch comes in and she's starting to talk to him, but he immediately interrupts her like, I've got news. So it's all very fast, cutting back and forth. We go back to Garcia at the hospital. And I guess what follows is a lot of the typical medical show type of dialogue and, and action. They have to intubate. That always happens in every <laughs> scene like yeah. this one. Yeah, it's like uh, you don't want to misintubate. You know what happened to Lauren Hill when you had the misintubation? <laughs> oh, boy. And, you know, the doctors are like, hang in there, Penelope, et cetera, et cetera. And then we cut out to our waiting area in the hospital and JJ and Hotch are there and Reed arrives looking concerned. And we cut back to the doctors. They're working furiously to save Garcia. And back at the waiting area, Rossi arrives. He asks the team, what did they know? Hotch says, police think it was a botched robbery. Prentice asks where the heck Morgan is. They don't know. He's not answering his phone. And Hotch tells Rossi, that from what a paramedic told him, things aren't looking too good. We cut back to the doctors, to the surgery. Garcia is in VTAC, another one of those things <laughs> that they always do on these shows. And I, I guess I got to assume that this actually happens often in real hospitals and, and surgery. But I mean, even if it doesn't happen all the time, like you said, on a TV show... I, I think we all think we know <laughs> what these things mean and, and what to expect if we were ever, God forbid, be in this situation. Uh, certainly certainly not to help somebody. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, oh yeah, VTAC, yeah, I get you. Yeah, yeah, yeah VTAC. Cold, uh, cold blue, cold blue. <laughs> yes, they've got to find the bleeder. It's important that they find the bleeder, AJ. <laughs> mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. And uh, we cut back to Prentice, she, who's again wondering where the, the hell Morgan is. And she says it that way, where in the hell is Morgan? So that when we cut to the church, we can go, aha, ha, ha, ha. it's not hell, it's church. And Morgan <laughs> is... You, you say there's a difference. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Mor- we see Morgan is in a pew. He's praying. I, I like this for us, us continual viewers, you know, to keep, you know, recent threads of the plot, keep those going on. And so I'm glad to see that he's there exploring his faith once again. And then we go to a quick shot of our shooter, Colby. Uh, he's walking over a bridge and he's tossing the gun he used over the side of the bridge. Then we cut back to more medical stuff. And then there's a shot with no dialogue of Prentice just taking JJ's hand and holding it. As they wait there, they're all deeply concerned. This is this is family, you know. This is this is a, our regular case. This is one of the fam. And back at the operation, Garcia is bleeding. She's bleeding a bit too quickly. They need to get more blood. They need to increase the pressure. Something happens. We see that Garcia is flatlining. They bring out the defibrillator because we have to have charge. <laughs> <laughs> in every such scene <laughs> we see some some more images from Garcia's point of view some memories we see a young girl in, in ballet clothes waving at the camera then the doctors continue to work as Garcia Garcia continues to flash over her life we quickly see a teenage Garcia driving a car then we are back at her door all the way back to the somewhat present at her doorstep looking at Colby as he raises his gun and fires at her. 
and we go to credits. Criminal Minds, Criminal Minds, Criminal Minds, Criminal Minds. It's Criminal Minds. We come back to more home movies of a young Garcia. <laughs> yeah, uh, and, I, and I will say, you know, we, we do have one of your uh, predictions was to predict how many times uh, a character has a near-death experience. This is not a near-death experience. This is just life flashing before eyes. She's not interacting with the memory in any way, shape, or form. So it does not qualify. Although, you know, uh, they did do uh, the, the, the process of casting four different people to play Garcia this episode. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like 15 seconds. <laughs> Yeah, so her parents are there. They're teaching her to ride a bike. And uh, the Golden Gate Bridge is in the background. So I don't think I realized or remembered hearing before that if she was from the Bay Area. But as you know, that's my home area. So uh, I was like, oh, cool. Garcia is from there. And uh, as this is happening, Garcia gets to do the quote, which I was happy to see. Might as well give her the quote since clearly she's about to die. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I guess Elle gave the quote on her death episode, didn't mm. she? <laughs> oh, no. Uh, so the opening quote is William Shakespeare wrote, Love all, trust a few, do wrong to none. Okay. Uh, <laughs> hey, they can't all be to be or not to be. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, back in surgery, we see a bit more of the defibrillation. And finally, Garcia's EKG machine starts beeping. She is brought back from the brink, AJ. Yeah, and I, I do like the fact that they've changed from this dramatic, frantic uh, music to just enough of an uplifting piano that you know, all right, it's going to stick. They're not going to come out in the next scene and have the doctor go, we lost her. <laughs> right. Yeah, and... and the surgeon also did an audible sigh of relief, I thought. <laughs> so uh, they, they've relaxed. The tension has gone away. All right, let's finish, let's finish time off this bleeder. Right, let's get yes. <laughs> and when we cut back to outside in the waiting room, Morgan has finally arrived. And it's a little bit later because JJ is letting him know that she's been in surgery for a few hours. And Morgan explains to the group that he was in church and his phone was off. And I love that they made the directorial choice or the script choice of cutting to a very quick shot of Rossi taking that information in. Oh, Morgan was at church since it was those those two that had the little dust well, up in the previous I mean, episode. We're talking real time from the last episode. It's like the plane lands and she's on the date. <laughs> he decides to go yeah. to church. So it, it, to them, this is continuous. Yeah. So they let the they let uh, Morgan know that the police haven't gotten any leads yet and then the surgeon comes out and he lets them know that garcia is gonna make it it was touch and go bullimeter bullimeter <laughs> the bullet was one centimeter <laughs> away from her heart and if it had been there obviously it would have been a different story but it's actually great news because she should even be able to go home in just a few days everyone is relieved they thank the doctor and after he leaves Hotch lets them know that he and Rossi are going to go to the scene. And the rest of them to stay that should stay there uh, to be there for Garcia when she wakes up. And he says he doesn't care about any protocols. They are not going to touch any new cases until they figure out who did this. Yeah, it was actually very touching, uh, unexpected. Because uh, you think like, all right, go home, get a, get a good night's sleep. <laughs> well, no, like we're on the case. We're not doing nothing else. We're mobilizing this. Is a family. 
So next we cut to the courtyard of Garcia's building and uh, the local detective is there. He explains how they figure that the criminal must have saw her entered, enter the uh, apartment, must have kicked in the door after her and tried to rob her. And then she tried to chase him. And then he turned around approximately 15 feet away in the middle of the courtyard and took some shots at her. And they believe it was a robbery because they found some of the contents of her purse dumped out. And Rossi points out that this guy had to be one hell of a shot to make that particular shot if he was on the run from someone from just stealing something from her. And it doesn't really seem to make any sense that he would come into this enclosed courtyard just to steal someone's purse. Doesn't seem like a very likely situation. Yeah, although, I mean, if if he was hiding and in, in, in wait and, you know, maybe a few people had come by, you know, he was waiting for the right moment to strike. It's not outlandish. It's not like ridiculous. But yeah, the fact they know Garcia, Garcia would not run after him. Yeah. If he had grabbed her, <laughs> he might, she might have said, Hey, that's not very nice. <laughs> Give it yeah. back. But Garcia is not, not exactly, uh, you know, going to spring into action. <laughs> and she knows she has law enforcement backup if she needs it. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, she's she doesn't seem to be the the type to risk it like that. They get a call, uh, which lets them know that uh, Garcia has woken up. So we cut to the team that's still at the hospital in Garcia's room. JJ goes up to her and it's all very touching. I, I, I was a little moved by it, I admit. And, and Garcia's like, no tears, because she's afraid if she starts crying, she might come unstapled, which is a very Garcia thing to think and say. They ask her how she is. She feels confused. She feels stupid. She's in some pain. And she starts to tell Morgan that he was right. She should have trusted it. And he's like, well, what do you mean? And she says, it was the guy that she met at the coffee shop. She thought that he liked her, and she let her guard down. Morgan says, you know, that's all right. Don't worry about it. Uh, they do get the full name of the unsub here. It's James Colby Baylor. And so they make to leave her room so that they can let her rest. Uh, she does ask JJ to stay behind for a moment. And then we follow uh, Morgan outside of the room with Reed. And Morgan is clearly upset. He slams his fist into the wall in anger. Reed tries to calm him down a bit. Morgan is like, don't don't try to calm me down, basically. Uh, and uh, so Reed asks Morgan if he remembers anything about this guy she's talking about, but he doesn't remember anything. Because he wasn't uh, listening, as we learned mm -hmm. last episode. Exactly. And Prentice comes over. She has, in the meantime, talked to Hotch on the phone and found out that they uh, think this guy used a revolver which seems to be odd, but they point out that you would use a revolver. Reed points out you would use a revolver if you didn't want to leave any shell casings behind. There's no witnesses to this crime at all, and apparently it was staged to look like a robbery. So Reed points out, since this guy is using forensic countermeasures, the name he gave her is probably a bogus name as well. Yeah, I think they all pretty much do that. <laughs> yeah, this is one of those... We all know that the name is probably a fake, right? Okay, cool, cool, cool. Should we be yeah. looking it up? Oh, we should probably look it up. But <laughs> Right. JJ comes out from talking to Garcia. They ask her what Garcia said, which, I mean, I, I understand the curiosity, but also 
I, I would think she held her back because she wanted it to be private. I don't know that I, I personally would ask no, in that situation. I, you know what? They are family. And I, I think if, if it had been something, you know, that JJ didn't want to reveal or, you know, she could, she would have easily just said personal, don't worry about it. Like not relevant. Right. Like, and they would have accepted that, but just in case it, you know, it was something, something they needed to know. know. Yeah. Right. So they do ask her and JJ says Garcia made her promise not to talk about her like a victim. Cause she's been, she's been on the listening end of those conversations and sometimes they don't treat the victim too good. Right. And it's a great cut because to the next scene, because immediately the first thing you see it's Hotch and Rossi and they say, so victimology. Yup. <laughs> so, I was like, well, there goes, you know, they weren't there for that part of the conversation, but they're going to go right to work with, That's they're it. working the case. This is how we do it. We start off talking victimology. Work in the case, man. Work in the case. So uh, they say, well, okay, why Garcia? And Rossi is like, oh, look at her. And not just like, well, uh, what do you mean by that? You, like, you, want, you want to flesh that out a little bit? And, uh, I, I know you don't know her that well, and you took a couple episodes to actually even know her name. <laughs> right. And, and his point is, is you don't look like she looks by accident. It's very purposeful. Uh, she wears her individuality like a shield, he says, she stands out. She's a single woman, and it could be someone was watching her for a while. Maybe they're talking about the type of sadist who gets off on gaining someone's trust and then trying to kill them. It's pretty common, and he lists some you know, common killers. And, and Hotch asks Rossi what's bugging him, because he does seem like he's a little weirded out by something. And Rossi says... So we have a sadist who just happens to choose an analyst that works for the FBI. And yes, that's very true. Of course, it's also this small sample size kind of thing. You know, well, we have a sadist who just happened to choose a grocery store clerk. Like, whatever it is, right. it's only one. We don't know. So it's, you, you, they're looking at it with the wrong set of eyes there. But okay, sure. Yeah. Back at the hospital, Morgan is telling Reed that he asked Garcia to go out last night, but she was pissed off at him and she blew him off. So that's why he wound up in the church. And it was very odd because on the one hand, if she had gone out with him, then she wouldn't have been shot. And then he says, but also what are the odds that the first time he prays in 20 years is when she's sitting there on the table? Personally, I'm like, that don't be not getting shot, Morgan. Well, there's that. And it's also, it's again, it's the same sort of, you know, correlation and causation. <laughs> it's like, right. okay, yeah. But, you know, also, let's say the date had gone very well and it wasn't some psycho. And like, what are the odds that the first time I pray in 20 years, she's getting some? Like, you know, right. he, wouldn't, he wouldn't have made that same connection there, I'm sure. So I'm just saying, uh, come on. <laughs> so then uh reed and morgan go in to talk to garcia and she's talking to them with a, a real weak sounding voice and she says uh when she was in the ambulance she could hear the song heroes playing in her head and she just kept fl flashing in and out of consciousness she remembered thinking to herself is david bowie really god I laughed at that. Then uh, Reed tells her that they do have a sketch artist coming in. And she lets them know that the guy said he was a lawyer. 
that they went someplace about 30 minutes away in his car. It was an American white four-door sedan that smelled new, which leads them to think maybe it was a rental car. She doesn't know. She doesn't like pay attention to things the way that they do. So she feels it seems to feel a little down on herself, but Morgan just tells her, take it easy. She does remember that he smelled good and uh, he was acting a little nervous and she thought that he was just afraid to kiss her good night. And, and it's a and, great, great moment here because we actually do a quick reflash of the scene again while she's saying this and just a single tear rolls down her face and Morgan instinctively goes to wipe it dry. And it's just, just, just great acting. You can just see the chemistry between these actors sometimes just really come through there. It, it, it's, pro- it's not something that's probably not in the script. She probably just actually started to cry. And, and mm-hmm. he wiped it off, and it's just good stuff. Mm-hmm. Again, when she does flash back to them, that he also says the uh, that line, "Hey Garcia, I've been thinking about doing this all night." Seems like such a weird thing to say, by the way. I mean, I I get it. It was a nice, like, little scary line to flash back on, but it just seemed like an odd choice of what you're going to say before you shoot someone. <laughs> Is, is reading from Ezekiel. <laughs> you know, it's, it's either a thing or it ain't a thing. <laughs> True that. Next, we cut to our shooter, Mr. Colby, and uh, he's in the courtyard of Garcia's apartment building, obviously after all of the other cops have left. And he's asking the neighbor what happened there because he's down there looking at the blood stain on the stairs. And this is the same nosy neighbor from the beginning who's like, her name's Penelope, she's with the FBI, and I know everything. (laughs) Yeah. But good for her. She's getting paid, this actress. Um, (laughs) But yeah, the neighbor is like, it was horrible, there was a shooting, that she's in intensive care, and Colby's like, record scratch, what? (laughs) Wait, what? Uh, She survived? And the neighbor's like, yeah. So he's like, so uh, did they catch the guy? And the neighbor is like, no, it was probably just some crackhead. That kind of calms him down a little bit. And he's like, yeah, this this whole city is going to hell. And uh, so the neighbor leaves and Colby kneels down and sort of just looks at the blood stain on the steps. He knows now, basically, is the point well, of yeah. this. Scene. And you would, you know... <laughs> It's not like he wouldn't have figured it out eventually <laughs> that he hadn't killed her, you know. So uh, I, I'm not going to completely go, Mrs. Schmageggy. <laughs> How dare you? But, you know, still, uh, keep your nose out the business and don't talk to strangers who haven't been kneeling right. in front of bloodstains. <laughs> yeah, there's, there was a shooting at your house uh, apartment building recently. Wouldn't, maybe you want to just... <laughs> No, she just wants to tell everybody that she witnessed it and she saw someone looking at it. Oh, I know what happened. I'll tell you what happened. Mm -hmm. We cut to the BAU office and Rossi is there. He sees Hotch coming in. He tells Hotch he looks like crap. And Hotch says, well, it's been four days. We have no leads. I feel like crap. And uh, Garcia is out of the ICU. Reed and Morgan are there with her. They're replaying events and they're going to keep uh, Rossi and Hotch posted and Rossi's like in the meantime maybe we can round up the three million guys that this sketch looks like <laughs> uh, JJ it comes in she's just gotten off the phone with the police they took the sketch to the coffee shop and to the restaurant they have no hits nothing they didn't find out anything from the rental car companies 
There's no prints. There's no shell casings. The cell phone he used to call Garcia was a disposable. They basically have nothing on this guy. I, no, I'm just curious. Like, I understand taking taking the sketch with you to the coffee shop because he was sitting there for a long time. For the restaurant, just take a picture of Garcia. Do you remember her coming in here? Now, do you remember the guy she was with? I think you'd probably get more hits that way. Because Garcia is an individual, AJ. <laughs> she you know, looks like that. That, 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 that. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> we then cut to a gun shop and Colby is there. He's buying a new revolver and the shopkeeper is telling him that most folks want the semi-automatics now because they have more rounds. And Colby says, well, you don't need more rounds if you don't miss. And I was like, oh, big ego, dude. You basically did just kind of miss. I mean, well, yeah, I mean, didn't miss. <laughs> right. <laughs> she got very, very lucky. I just say there's a great there's a great moment of acting from this clerk here because it is just totally an accidental catch of the scene. You could just tell because he, he hands uh, Colby the gun and, and Colby like takes the gun and like kind of aims it right in front of the clerk and the clerk like jerks back like, oh, he don't point that shit at me. <laughs> it was a great honest reaction to like, hey, whoa, hey, <laughs> okay. Hey now. <laughs> yeah. Good stuff. So we go back to the hospital. Morgan and Reed are still trying to relive all the events with Garcia and she's saying she can't remember anything. So they tell her they'll start with the behavior and Reed says, that's all profiling is, really noticing behavior. And I kind of can't believe that they haven't given Mark Garcia this sort of lesson anyway, but it is a different situation when you are yourself involved in it. So and it's, I'm it's not also a way of calming down. So it's all yeah. good. Look, we're not treating you like a victim. Right. <laughs> but you're the victim. So, you know. <laughs> Morgan says, looks, sweetheart, any detail you remember will tell us who he is. So she says, okay. And they bring her back to when she arrived at the restaurant. And we flash to the restaurant and they do the criminal minds trick. So while she's reliving these memories, Morgan and Reed are actually sitting there right at the table with her and Colby uh, looking at everything. Yeah. And I will say just in general, uh, most TV shows that use this type of thing do it and Criminal Minds, no exception, but look, I get it when there's like an eight-year-old kid and they're like making them walk back through the thing. I'm scared. I'm scared. It's okay. Nothing can hurt you. But every single time they do this with anybody, it's like, oh, oh relax. It's okay. You're not actually there. I'm like, these people know they're not actually there. <laughs> it's, it's so silly to me. <laughs> yeah. Usually these these type of tricks kind of bug me because they take me out of it. But this one didn't bother me for some reason as much as it has other times in the past. I just sort of went with it. And yeah, well, it I felt think it's, natural. it's probably because it's Morgan and Reed and Garcia. Like it's it's all our right. people. So, you know, it, it does seem a little bit more uh, realistic that they would, they would they would be able to picture the memory better because they know her so well. Right. Garcia is describing the situation. Uh, she's talking about Colby. She's saying he wasn't nervous at all. We see him order a bottle of Sancerre, and Garcia says, oh, well, actually, I drink red. And he just tells her, trust him. She'll love it. So they point out, okay, so he was trying to impress you by showing you that he can take charge. They ask about what kind of watch he had, and Garcia notes that it was a fake Rolex. 
And they ask her if she's sure, and she knows she knows a knockoff watch when she sees one, which I, I thought was good. And clearly he was playing with the watch, Reed points out, because he wanted her to notice the watch to think it was real. Uh, Morgan asks her if she's okay, and she says she's just feeling really exposed because she's sitting with her – I thought it was because she was sitting with her back to – it was a double meaning that she she was both exposed – because she was sitting with her back to the rest of the restaurant. <laughs> and also she was exposed because this guy's gotten in into her head, yeah. et cetera. And so then she gets back to the date and Colby is asking her about her FBI job and how it must be glamorous. She makes a crack about how, you know, yeah, if you want to call sitting there 14 hours a day looking at nasty evidence, glamorous, sure, fine. And uh, he, she says, he says, oh, you work murder cases. That that must be very interesting. She then asks him about what his story is. And he says, well, school in New Haven, law school in Boston, <laughs> Cambridge, I guess, technically. And uh, it's all one college town, one big college town. <laughs> she asks, what kind of law does he practice? And he says he's a city attorney. But, you know, once you've had a murder case dismissed for judicial ineptitude, or a random collateral estoppel, <laughs> let's just say <laughs> that private practice makes a lot of sense. People can get away with murder for other people's incompetence. But why am I telling you all of this? You see it all the time. And then they make a toast to karma. And then Reed points out that city attorneys don't try murder cases. <laughs> Garcia's like, what? So they figure he knows enough to use legal terminology but this guy is not actually a working lawyer. Yeah, it's all just, it's it's puffery, clearly. I mean, I wouldn't have been surprised if when the bill came, he was like, oh, sorry, I'm having trouble getting the wallet out of my pocket. It's stuffed with so many bills. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, we're getting, we are getting kind of a clear picture of this guy. I think, sadly, that even if he, he wasn't a killer, he would just be one of those common... <laughs> Types of dates that women unfortunately have to go on. Sure, but at the like same, puffing themselves up. <laughs> at the same time, if he weren't a killer, and the night the night had gone seemed to go well from her perspective before the shooting, she seemed to want to kiss him at the end of the night. And had he been normal, perhaps you know it's just one of those putting your best foot forward and you know playing it up at the start. And, you know, it could have gone somewhere, perhaps. He just happened to be a homicidal maniac. <laughs> right. Oh, well. You know, uh, what are the odds of the first person she goes on a date with? <laughs> we uh, cut back to the BAU and Reed and Morgan are there with the team now. And Morgan says that he thinks they're looking at someone who failed out of law school or didn't even pass the bar. Garcia didn't give any specifics about the details of the cases that he was working but Hotch figures if this guy failed law school, it could explain why he's got all the vocabulary down, uh, but not much more. And Prentice says it, it can also explain his anger, because even in his lie, he was railing on against the other people's incompetence. Rossi points out the guy's clearly a narcissist, in case we hadn't noticed. <laughs> the clothes, the watch, the humble brags about where he went to school, saying New Haven and Cambridge instead of Yale and Harvard. And Hotch tells JJ they need to bring in another analyst for clickety-clacketing purposes. And she says she's on it. 
and she is fast because we next cut to uh, our new analyst walking down a corridor with Hotch and Rossi. Uh, AJ, this guest star, we know right away, but something tells me you didn't go, hey, it's Nicholas Brendan. <laughs> I think you used another name. Uh, no, probably most likely. Nicholas Brendan. <laughs> <laughs> No, no, no meaning to any character name he might have played at all. No, no, really. Okay, well, I know you don't probably know this. Then he played uh, Xander on Buffy the Vampire oh, Slayer. Is that what it was? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it was good to see him. That was quite a pleasant surprise for me. Strangely enough, he's playing a computery, nerdy, hackery type of guy. <laughs> he's, he's playing a Willow type, yeah. Except he's, he's got he's got mucho gusto attitude and snark. He's playing Xander, playing Willow. <laughs> yeah, pretty much, yeah. <laughs> Let's hope uh, he never says bored now. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. So he's a little leery about working on another tech system, and they explain that she's in the hospital, and he's like, "Oh, this is the analyst that was shot." So all these analysts talk to each other. Yeah, that makes total sense. It's been four days yeah. too. It's not like it's not like the night after. So yeah. Right. He does log into Garcia's computer, and Hotch is like, "You know what? Run a search for the name James Colby Baylor." And Xander is like, "Whoa, <laughs> Kevin, Kevin. His name's Kevin." <laughs> oh, sorry. I I typed Xander throughout the whole whole thing. Uh, Kevin. <laughs> Is like, whoa, uh, because Garcia's system is not a typical government system at all. And he starts geeking out about how it's Linux based, it's open source programming, et cetera, et cetera. And Hotch looks kind of annoyed and just says, James Colby Baylor. Kevin gives a very Xander line reading of chop, chop, geez. <laughs> uh, yes, mine, sure. Got it. Okay. Back to business. No fun, fun time here. <laughs> <laughs> yes. He doesn't find anything on on Baylor's name, and they ask him to start off then with a list of everyone in the area who has either failed the bar exam or was fired from a large law firm in the last five years. And uh, he's not Garcia. He's not going to get that to him in two seconds. He's like, dudes, that's got to be like thousands of names. But Rossi is actually able to narrow it down. He says, look for guys with the initials JCB. This guy had monogrammed shirts, and trust me, they ain't cheap. So Kevin is looking down at all the cool stuff on Garcia's computer, and he says, you know, this may be like the coolest girl I ever met. Her gooey is mind-blowing. That that was maybe the one line I kind of winced at for the entire, yeah, that one, entire episode. No, no. <laughs> and again, Hotch is like, give me the list. Uh, Hotch doesn't seem to have any like love for this guy <laughs> whatsoever. No. He, he he Garcia is family. This is an intruder working on her computer, and he, his clickety clack is more like clickety clack. All of a sudden, we see a password prompt pop up on the computer, and Kevin is like, "Uh oh, this isn't good." We cut to Hotch and Rossi walking resolutely down the corridor and they split off. Hotch goes into the elevator and JJ walks up to Rossi and asks what Hotch is doing. And Rossi says, right now, I'm guessing he's wishing anyone else was the leader of this team. So apparently something, they found something. 
they found something in Hotch. I mean, he looks just the way he walked and his face. Like he looked pissed, which which is why when we cut to the very next thing is he's entering Garcia's hospital room. He has calmed down. <laughs> yes. He starts off with asking her how she feels, which I thought, okay, at least he, you know. This isn't an unsub. This is Garcia. <laughs> she did a bad thing, clearly. But he is going to get right down to brass tacks after that. So they found an encrypted file on her machine. Apparently she's not supposed to have an encrypted file on her machine. And does she think that this file has anything to do with why she was shot? She says she doesn't think so. And he's like, you know what? We're going to need the password. We're going to need to look at it. And Morgan is like, Hodge, what's going on? Is this necessary? This this whole time sort of <laughs> in and out of this yeah, whole conversation. Morgan's going to be her protector. Mm-hmm. And Hodge says they need to check it. So Garcia gives them the password, which is Gilman Street. And uh, I, being a Bay Area kid myself, no Gilman Street. It's in Berkeley, California. It's a popular strip where there's a lot of punk bars, the, like a lot of the classic punk bars uh, when I was coming up that would have groups like the Dead Kennedys. And I believe Green Day played at Gilman Street. There's actually a bar called Gilman Street. Anyway, that's what Gilman Street is, in case you wanted to know. Unless she's talking about another Gilman Street, but since she grew up in the San Francisco Bay Area, you I'm assuming- put the two and two together to get poor. <laughs> Uh, anyway, Hotch tells them that they have uh, now been ordered by Internal Affairs to stop working this case. And until this situation with what's on her computer is cleared up, Garcia has been suspended. And with that little bombshell, he leaves. Uh, Garcia starts to pull the wires off herself like she's going to get up and go. And Morgan is trying to stop her. He says, look, I don't give a damn about no IA. I'm going to do whatever I want to do, but you need to rest. Garcia says, look, one of the last things I told myself before I was shot was that everything happens for a reason. Derek, if I lose faith in that, then nothing in my life makes sense. And Morgan is like, yeah, I get that. And she says, no, you really don't. Well, in fairness, yes, he doesn't really. But he also has been dealing with faith. So the word faith is, I think, is what's what's resonating with him there no he doesn't know what this is like certainly but yeah yeah we uh, cut to the bau conference room where we have an internal affairs agent who i just call ia guy i don't i've been called i call him uh, agent suit (laughs) okay (laughs) because that's really all he's just i'd never get his name never learn it maybe it's mentioned didn't really notice it but he's just one of these smarmy suits Mm-hmm. He's taking down all their pictures and files and all of their evidence from the case. And Prentice is asking him if this is necessary. And he says, of course it is. And he's going to have Kevin audit Garcia's computer while he's going to be overseeing the investigation. And JJ is like, hey, you know, you had a federal employee that was just gunned down And you make it seem like investigating her is more important than finding out who shot her. The IA agent says, look, that's not true. The police are investigating and he's going to offer the full force of the FBI to assist. And Prentice says, you know, with all due respect, full force of the FBI includes the BAU team. (laughs) He's like, look, I realize this is hard, 
But let's take a look at the victimology. The Bureau needs to know what she's involved in and if it had anything to do with why she was shot. And even though he's the smarmy type, I kind of like see his point. Like, I don't blame him for anything he says. And he he wasn't doing it so annoying that I wanted to smack him. He wasn't mustache twirly. <laughs> yeah. So certainly there's that. There, there's a little bit of the disconnect. And maybe he just has to for his job where he's not really taking their emotions into account. Right. It's like, look, they're... Their family. It's not just some analyst. It's their analyst. You know, they know about her. They're they're, they're friends. So yeah, he, he's he's ignoring that a little bit. But yes, he's doing his job, at least in this scene. <laughs> in this, at least in this scene, uh, JJ says Garcia is not involved in anything, and he's like, "Are you certain of that?" And Princess is like, "Absolutely." And then he starts to ask them if either of them know how Garcia was recruited into the FBI, and they clearly don't by the looks that they're giving each other. But for now, we're going to cut over to Garcia, who is actually answering that very question to Morgan and Reed. She's saying after her parents died, she went off the rails for a little bit and she dropped out of school and went underground. Basically, she started teaching herself code. And it was the one thing in life that kept her together. Cut back to the IA agent who is saying that the Bureau keeps track of computer hackers ones that have the skill to be either extremely useful or else a potential menace. And Prentice says, well, so Garcia was on a watch list. And the agent is like, no, 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 no. Watch lists are long. We're talking about a handful of people on the planet. I'm like, damn, Garcia, okay. Well, and she's <laughs> proven that, right? <laughs> yeah, she has, actually. And JJ says, well, what did it take to get on that list? And uh, the IA agent says, uh, I'm not at liberty to answer that. That that was fun. Because <laughs> um, that means Garcia done did something. We cut back to Garcia telling the guys that the FBI offered her a job and Reed compared it to Frank Abagnale. Basically, if you can't beat him, hire him. And so Morgan asks her what's on the encrypted file. And she says she's required to keep a record of everything the team does. And after her system got hacked and after Elle got shot, nice callbacks. Mm -hmm. She just didn't want anyone else to be able to get at the team. So Reed says they'll talk to the doctors and get her cleared to leave. It's nice when the show has a memory. It doesn't always have a memory. This is one where it does have a memory and and quite frankly what what was that one word <laughs> rules yes rules. maybe maybe she doesn't want to play by the bureau's rules 100% when it comes to protecting the people that she loves we cut to later and morgan has arrived back at garcia's apartment he's helping her out of the car a cop walks up and introduces himself says he's going to be uh, out there until midnight, and then another officer is going to arrive after that for another shift. And Morgan starts to take Garcia inside. She understandably freaks out a little bit at the sight of where her blood stained the steps. And Morgan, Morgan promises that, you know, that will all be able to be washed out. They go into the apartment, and Morgan looks around, and it's a very Garcia-inspired <laughs> apartment. It's full of Colorful tchotchkes and artwork and toys and whatnot. I, I just, I mean, look at how she is and how she dresses every day and you kind of get the idea. It is 100% Garcia. 
absolutely exactly yeah. what you'd expect her apartment to look like, which causes Morgan to laugh because, yep. <laughs> yeah. Uh, they, he spots a projector and says, uh, Super 8. And Garcia says, yeah. She starts showing a film of her as a little girl with her dad. And uh, she says she always imagined herself fighting crime. And her parents were hippies. And she thinks that horrified them. And she was 18 when she lost them both to a, a drunk driver. And she turns off the film. And I like that she had this film because it kind of explains in the, you know, they had that same kind of grainy film look when they were doing the flashbacks earlier. And now you go, ah, she has Super 8 film. And she probably sits there and watches from time to it time may, to remember yeah. her family, their birthdays and anniversary. Yeah, things like that. Absolutely. Right. Uh, I, I do want you to remember the these films and, and stuff for the future. Ah, Stick a pin okay. in it. Beautiful. Good to know. Uh, she starts to, she turns off the film and Morgan starts looking at some papers she has and she explains that, uh, she volunteers once a week to counsel family members of murder victims. Uh, she looks at crime scene photos all day long and she can't stand to know that there's families out there trying to cope and she would not be doing anything. So that's why she does it. She's got to help them out. And Morgan says that she knows it was stupid. It was stupid to encrypt that file, right? He's like, you know, that was stupid, right? Like, <laughs> just very matter of fact. And she she knows. He tells her to go get some rest, and she's like, okay, good night. And he says, hey, mama, baby girl, I'm not going anywhere. You know, I'm gonna uh, be crashing on your couch, making friends with your couch uh, until we catch this guy. Even though she's like, I'm fine. I got a goon squad parked out front. He's like, I, I don't care. I'm going to be on your couch. And so she says, OK, fine. But if he's planning on taking advantage of her, let her call the doctor real quick so he can revive her afterward. And they laugh. And I like seeing that Garcia still is able to muster up a Garcia line for him. Morgan says, hey, silly girl, I love you. You know that, right? And she says she loves him too, and she goes to bed. Very nice. I enjoyed it, that. It, it was just also it was like they're back to normal. They they had just had this huge fight before she was shot. This is their first time after that she shot to like really make up, and so they're they're making up, and it's really it's well acted, very touching. We cut to later, and guess who's right outside of Garcia's apartment. Hmm, let me see. <laughs> There's only one thing that could ratchet up the drama here. <laughs> could it be Colby? <laughs> yes, it could be. Colby is right outside, and the cop that is there sees him and comes up to him to confront him, and he just immediately shoots the cop. Obviously, the sound of gunfire springs Morgan right up, and Garcia is there, and there she's frightened, and he, he has her get in the corner. He says, get in the corner, get in the corner. And then he hands her a gun. She says she's not a gun person, but he tells her, look, just keep the finger off the trigger. But if somebody walks through that door, you grab a hold of it and squeeze. And in my head, I'm saying, if anybody but me walks in <laughs> <Yes>. this door. <laughs> I mean, that is implied, but yes, you do want to be clear. <laughs> Colby has come into the lobby of the uh, building. Uh, Morgan is sort of up above on the steps. They exchange fire with one another. 
Obviously, n- neither one hits each other. Uh, Kobe runs outside. Morgan chases out after him. Uh, he's already at this point crossed the street and is getting away. And it looked to me like Morgan could perhaps go after him. But of course, he does the right thing, which is go to check on the officer who is wounded and down. He's not. He realizes he's probably not going to catch him. Although in my mind, I feel like Morgan probably could have caught him because he's Morgan. Maybe, but. yeah. But again, he's also leaving Garcia exposed if he were to somehow yeah. get away and hook back. Yeah. And so he goes back to the wounded officer and uses his radio to call in officer down, request an ambulance and all of that stuff. He goes back into the apartment. Garcia has actually moved from her original spot in the corner to somewhere deeper in the apartment. She's clearly freaking out, as you obviously would. And then there's a brief moment when he finds her and they're pointing their guns at each other. And he's like, don't shoot. It's me. It's me. She starts to cry. It's Morgan, baby. It's Morgan. (laughs) She starts to cry and she's asking why this is happening to her. And Morgan hugs her and is just saying he doesn't know. He doesn't know. You know, false drama, but okay. It leads to the emotion. So it's, you know, I'll allow it. It is kind of silly (laughs) that they both pull guns on each other. Yeah. Uh, After a break, we come back to Garcia's and the police have set up a new perimeter outside. Scotch tape crime scene. And and closed off all the streets and closed traffic and everything. I will say there was a lot of traffic for the time of night I thought this was. When, when, because when Colby's mm-hmm. running away, there, there was all these, you know, he's, he's avoiding cars, and like, <laughs> like, but I thought they were all asleep, man. What kind of traffic is going yeah. on this time of night? Uh, the only thing that would have made this this scene better, I think, as the cops are, are reestablishing the crime scene, I wish the neighbor was out there trying to explain what she had seen in her. Because <laughs> <laughs> you know that gunshot woke her. Yeah, that would have been great. Missed um, opportunity for a little levity. Yeah. Yeah. Meanwhile, JJ and Reed have arrived and JJ asks what's going on. Morgan says he doesn't know. All he knows is that this guy is getting seriously bold and whatever this is, it's not over. Garcia is scared. She doesn't know what this guy wants from her. She doesn't even know who he is. We cut outside and and see all the cop cars again. And we realize that Colby is, is still there. Just parked in a car just beyond the crime scene. <laughs> like, uh, guys, just shine your light over this way. Uh, and it's very, but it, they don't notice yeah, it. Yeah, it's really <laughs> obvious because it's the only car parked on the street over there. Yeah, yeah. You might want to check it out. <laughs> Meanwhile, uh, Hotch and Prentice and Rossi arrive, and uh, the police come out, police detective comes over to say, that their office called and they told him that they were going to run point on this. They don't want BAU working on the case. And Hotch says that they're just there to comfort their friend. And the detective, he's a good local detective. He says, I don't care what the office is. I have to go tell a, a good friend's wife that her husband was murdered. So any help you guys can give is good as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, I mean, it's bravo. It's good when you get the cop. It's just like, yeah, I, I, I get it. That's the call I got. I, as far as I'm concerned, I didn't get that call. Like, I want to solve the right. case. I'm not getting into the bureau's politics here. You, you get clues. Yeah. I'm not going to go la 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 la. <laughs> right. Uh, so they thank him, and 
we see Rossi and Rossi just looks pissed. He looks ticked off uh, and he's like, you know what? I am sick of being behind this guy. We got to end this. So they go into Garcia's apartment. Um, they ask Morgan if he got a look at the guy. He Morgan didn't get a good look at the guy. So they talk about moving Garcia somewhere, maybe back to the hospital, or we got to get her someplace safe. And she's like, hey, I feel safe with you guys. And then all of a sudden she's remembering something as she thinks about Morgan telling her to go into the corner, to go into the corner. She remembers the back on the date. They were offered a seat by the window, but Colby insisted on sitting at the worst table in the restaurant. He had his back to the wall, to the corner. Hotch and the other detectives start, uh, other agents start looking at each other, and Hotch asks the detective if they can clear the room. And the detective is hesitant for a moment because, like, hey, we got an investigation going on, but he eventually agrees and, and leaves. Yeah, I, I think it's it's the way Hotch asked him and kind of looked at him, and it was this unspoken thing between two people in charge going, I'm about to do something that is illegal. <laughs> and we right. need you to get away for a few minutes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you can't really hear what's about to happen. <laughs> it, it, it was just that little, that little knowing look like, um, I'm going to need the room for about five minutes. Can you all leave? Uh, you, okay. Yeah. Do what you got to do. Uh, we'll be back in five minutes. Five, five, five. <laughs> yeah. Garcia has is starting to talk about the car. They're asking about the car again. The detail that she remembers now, this time, is that the guy had the seatbelt and it was buckled behind his back. He wasn't actually in the seatbelt. And all the BAU agents look at each other like they know something is going on here. And she's like, well, what's up? They explain this doesn't sound like a rental. It sounds like this was a surveillance car. Agents don't wear seatbelts. They need to get out in a hurry. Rossi is, again, perturbed. This is all, he's tired of all the nonsense. He gets right up in Garcia's face. He's like, cut the crap. You need to be straight with us. And as she looks down, he's like, look at me, not them. And Garcia says, hey, I'm not hiding anything. And Rossi says, people don't get shot. For no reason. Well, he says people get shot for a reason. Um, and uh, Morgan is like, ease up. Again, playing that protector role. Ease up, Rossi. Ease up. And Rossi is like, you got a room full of people here willing to believe that an FBI agent has tried to kill you. We need to know everything you do on company time that we don't know about. And Garcia, she looks a little guilty. She says, look, it's nothing bad. And Rossi's like, spit it out, spit it out. So she says sometimes some of the victims' families that she counsels, sometimes they ask her to look into cases for them. And so for some of the unsolved cases she has, she's tagged them that so whoever's investigating investigating them locally knows that the FBI considers those crimes a priority. And Hotch is immediately looks like, whoa, you you do that? You're not supposed to do that. (laughs) You don't have authorization to do that. And she says she knows she's really just trying to help. And Rossi points out, look, whoever's working those cases think that you're watching them. And Garcia's like, I just wanted to put pressure on them so that they don't let the cases slide. And they ask her how many cases she's talking about. And I'm so glad she said, oh, like seven or eight, because <laughs> I was like, 
thousand. Oh no. <laughs> um, yeah, it's it's several people who she's gotten to know, and she cares about them too. Yes. Yeah, seven, seven, eight. Not too many. Yes, and uh, but she doesn't have the details memorized. She'd have to check out her system. I'm not read. <laughs> yeah, Hotch says, "Oh, you can't check out your system. You're suspended." Uh huh. And Morgan asks her. Uh, Morgan then remembers that he was asking her about murder cases on the date and tells Hotch, look, we, man, we got to look at those files. And Rossi is like, I told you, I'm sick of this jag off being in front of us. So Rossi has a, like, Rossi is sick of it in case we didn't get that message before. <laughs> uh, and Hotch is like thinking for a moment and he's like, Dave's right. We'll go back to the BAU. Morgan, Reed, Prentice, you guys stay here and make sure that no one forgets to log out of the system. Garcia most definitely should not have access. <laughs> he didn't. I added the most definitely. I may be adding emphasis here where it wasn't because Hotch knows how to play it cool. Yes. Just- but I think he's telling them, you know. Do what you got to do. You I guys. even think it would be fun. It would have been funnier if, like, the cop had popped his head back in at that moment. So make sure that nobody, nobody forgets to log out of the yes. system because Garcia is absolutely not to have <laughs> any access to the computer. Do you hear me? That is a direct order. <laughs> yes. Uh, and Morgan does say, uh, understood. Is not, I am not to hear that someone has accidentally left the room. Yes. <laughs> By the way, uh, Garcia is going to stay in her room with, with no access to the files. Now, everybody, write down your passwords. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They leave. Colby is parked there just beyond that crime tape, and he's watching them drive off, and then he drives off himself. We cut back to Kevin doing his uh, system audit on Garcia's machine when all of a sudden the machine starts beeping and he's like, what the hell? And then he's like, oh, 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 no, you don't. (laughs) And we cut to Garcia on her laptop and she's like, oh, I do not have time for this. So we then spend a a few minutes of of time of them going back and forth in a a game of hacker one-upsmanship. Garcia trying to log in so she can read her files and Kevin is trying to stop her. Although I do have to wonder why he can't just turn off the computer. (laughs) But I I think I assume that he just loves the hacker battle too much to turn off the computer. (laughs) Like he's going to be the man and, and and take and stop this person from getting in. And uh, they kind of verbally spar each at their computer. No, you don't. Oh, I'm going to do a back door. Oh, I'm going to, you know, all that. Yeah, it's it's all the stuff (laughs) that that people think that old people are going to understand about computer hacking <laughs> when, you know, it's, yes. it's, it's like the movie hackers. It's just like, how do you, how do you personify what's really just right. boring ones and zeros for the most part? And uh, Kevin all of a sudden gets to a point where he's like, Oh, this is way too easy. I thought you had skills, but Garcia actually wants him to follow her wherever she's going. How theoretically and, uh, he does. Then all of a sudden he gets stuck in what she's calling a wormhole and his computer screen turns off. And meanwhile, Garcia's in the files and she's getting everything she needs. And we cut to her then printing out 
all of her copies of the case uh, records that she was talking about. And Morgan is handing them out to the team. And they're going to look for any of the same agents that worked on any of those cases. And as they're looking at them, Prentice says, well, there aren't any agents at all working on these cases. It's not a FBI. But apparently the same deputy was the first responder on three of this case, three of these cases, and his name is Jason Clark Battle, JCB. Oh my goodness. Yeah, I think it's a, it's a little it's a little silly to print out multiple files for them all to peruse through. They, they're all looking at the exact same thing as the names on the file. Like I think they'll all find it eventually around the same time. I, I get that more eyes more chances to catch the match, but you could really just spread them out on the table. There's seven lists of names. (laughs) Right. The three cases that they, that have this same first responder, all three of them were drive by uh, shootings at close range. And all of them were shot with a revolver. And meanwhile, we see that Kevin has recovered by putting a super special USB into the side of uh, the computer and when in doubt put the flash drive in (laughs) and and all of a sudden he's trying to figure out what garcia was looking at and meanwhile they pull up a database search of jason clark battle and when they see his picture garcia confirms that this is indeed the guy that they're looking for the records show that this guy was honored twice as a hero and garcia wonders why he's still just a deputy And Morgan says, well, even to his superiors, something must have been off about him. And Reed is saying, yeah, it makes sense. Uh, Showy clothes, subtle bragging, presents himself as a prominent attorney when he's actually just a deputy sheriff. And Morgan says, sees himself as uh, underappreciated in the world and overappreciated in his own mind. And he thinks that Garcia has stumbled onto an angel of death. And Garcia says, well, I thought those were uh, nurses who put people out of their misery. And Reed says, that's one model. And then the other is someone who puts people at risk in order to save them. He shot them so that he can save them. And then when he couldn't save them, he made it look like a random murder. It's how he was able to be the first responder for those cases. And they even have a name for this. It's called the Hero Homicide Complex. Uh, They commonly find that in firemen who set fires to come in and then save the day. And Morgan says, Garcia, you flagged these cases. He thought you were on to him. And she says, but she wasn't. And Prentice says, but you were the only one in the world who could make the connection. So in his mind, he had to eliminate you. And we see a quick shot of Kevin pulling up Battle's picture. So Kevin now knows uh, what this guy looks like. Morgan has called over to Battle's office. He's found out that he's on shift until midnight, but Morgan doesn't want him knowing that they're on to him. And Garcia's asking why, what does the profile say? And Reed says, well, he's going to keep getting bolder trying to cover his track tracks. And if that doesn't work, then he, he's the type that's going to die shooting. Fun. <laughs> yeah. Great. So then we cut over to the, BAU office and we see JJ is walking off and we also see Deputy Battle is arriving at the BAU and he's with our IA agent who calls over to Kevin and uh, he's also talking to the deputy and he's saying, well, we take uh, bureau interference with local law enforcement very seriously 
uh, we're on the same team. So he asks Kevin, he says, Mr. Lynch, I need you to access some files. And Kevin is trying to get out of it, saying he's busy. But the IA agent says, uh, yep, we'll just step in here. It'll just take a second. So they get his name, Deputy Jason Battle. And Battle says, I don't understand why one of your analysts would be looking into my murder cases. The IA agent is like, well, the woman you're talking about is currently under investigation. So he starts, Battle starts being sly here. He's like, oh, you don't think she could be involved in a killing somehow, somehow, do you? The IA agent isn't giving up any details. He's just saying, we can't determine anything. And Battle's like, wouldn't it be easier to just let me speak to her? <laughs> this guy is awfully brazen at this point. Well, and he's also, he's like so full of himself. He thinks he's going to get what he needs. I mean, he's walked yeah. into the FBI and said, hey, you mind uh, doing me a favor and go on your computers and clickety-clack for me? And they're doing it. And they're doing it. Uh, yeah, this this bright, bright IA uh, agent is actually says he's going to remove those files from the system for him. While uh, the investigation is going on, he doesn't see the problem with that at all. <laughs> Fine. So he tells Kevin to uh, go ahead and work on that. By the way, Kevin has recognized <laughs> Battle and knows that, no, this isn't good. He's our suspect. But good good on him. I'm, I'm glad he didn't like immediately go, <gasps> but you're the killer. <laughs> yeah, he's playing along very nicely. <laughs> he's not supposed to know. Um, maybe he knows just enough it's almost as if he had, a, had an earpiece and like, oh, he's going to do what now? <laughs> yes. Shoot, shoot exactly. to kill. Uh-uh. <laughs> so now we cut to Garcia and she's like still working on the computer and she said, oh, that's kind of weird. And they ask her what's going on. And she says, well, this guy uh, just logged into my system and now he's got a link up on my screen. And they're thinking maybe it's a mistake. And Garcia's like, no, this guy is good. He's not careless. Maybe he's trying to show something to me. Maybe he's trying to bait her. What do you mean by that? If maybe he's with internal affairs and she follows the lead that he puts there, then whoever log whoever's login that she uses could possibly lose their job. So they ask her, what does her gut say? And she says, look, this guy is a hacker and we have a code. And they ask her if she trusts it. She says she has to. So they tell her to go ahead and make contact. And she does. And they pull up the screen and they realize that it's the BAU office. They can see the video links of what's going on. And that battle is right there. Morgan calls over to Hotch, who's in his office. He lets him know that the guy is in the BAU. He's the deputy sheriff over there, mid bullpen, just past his desk. You got him? And Hotch is like, yeah, I got him. I Morgan's also like, like the fact that he, he, Morgan hasn't been there to know who either of these guys are that he's with. He doesn't know Kevin. He doesn't know Agent Suit. So he's just like, he's he's the guy, the deputy with, the, with those two other guys. <laughs> right. I feel like the fact that he doesn't even call him out by name. Because otherwise he's like, yeah, he's one sitting next to Kevin. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Although, I mean, it would be plausible that maybe he knows Kevin, you know. Not, but he's, for, he's hung out with people before. He's hung out with people, but I don't think this is the type of person he's hanging out with. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> you're you're probably right about that. Um See him in the lunchroom every once in a while? I don't know. <laughs> uh, hey, Kevin, ain't seen you at Burger World lately. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> so he also warns Hotch, don't let him know we're onto him. These guys are classic narcissists with a hero homicide complex, and he's spiraling. If you let him know anything, he's going to start shooting. So Hotch 
good job, Hot. She's just walking calmly over to Rossi's office, give his door a little knock. Rossi comes out. You see him kind of talking to him. And we hear Rossi saying, this guy is just trying to prove that he's smarter than all of us. And Hotch is saying, well, it's too crowded in here. We can't get an angle on this guy without putting other people in jeopardy. We got to slip somebody in behind him. Can they can they see the cameras outside of the bullpen? Garcia is checking and she the only person she sees is her girl, JJ, who's in the office sort of behind where battle is sort of set up. So they call over to JJ, like, pick up JJ, pick up. And uh, she does as if she it's JJ, like she was just going to sit there and look at it and let it ring. That's what Morgan might do. Yeah. <laughs> Well, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe she's secretly in church. <laughs> yes. So uh, she picks up the phone and Morgan's like, okay, listen to me very carefully. And uh, meanwhile, we see Battle right up over Kevin's shoulder. He's like, okay, so you're sure my files are wiped off the system? And uh, Kevin is like, yes, sir. The IA agent's like, okay, I'll keep you updated on our investigation. And the way he's looking around, it's clear to them that are watching the camera that they've been made. He knows what's going on. So now it's clear that he knows that they're that they're yeah, on you know, to him. He, he, he's looking around. He's getting all a little nervous. They can see because they have the, the, the bird's eye view. They can see that he's nervous. And I just love the fact that, OK, I don't know how far Garcia's apartment is from the BAU headquarters. But like Morgan's like, let's go. Let's go. <laughs> We gotta get over yeah. there. <laughs> Morgan wants to kick in the door at the BAU. <laughs> I get the instinct, but there's no way they could get over there in time to do anything. So they all decide to go to the BAU. Battle is grabbed the agent. Rossi is like, "Hey, you know you're a cop. You know this isn't going to end well." And Hotch is saying, "You're standing in the middle of the FBI." <laughs> Hello. Mr. Battle, <laughs> you realize where you are, don't you? And he's like, you think I'm afraid of the FBI? I know how this is going to end. So do you. I'm a decorated officer. And Rossi is like, that's right. And this is not how you want to be remembered. They tell him, look, you're in control here. You write the ending. This is your choice. You write the songs that make the whole world sing. <laughs> right. And Battle is like, the best minds in the FBI, you can't even stop me. That's when JJ comes up from behind, shoots through the glass, and she stops him. JJ saves the day. I mean, cool that JJ saves the day, but really? These doors are not better bulletproof than that? The one shot shatters the glass. I would have even appreciated if it was two shots, one to shatter the glass and one to fire the bullet. But no, the bullet goes through the glass, which shatters, and right into his forehead. Yeah. Like, I believe JJ is a good shot, but I agree that glass should have been more of a deterrent. Yes. If this was some random field office, maybe not, but this is the head office in Quantico yeah. of the FBI. Uh, yeah. Or at least have her, like, open the door. <laughs> yeah. He would, He didn't see her comments, so, like, get out, like, you know, he's like, best mind, you can't stop me, knock, knock. <laughs> right. Exactly. Now it's a little bit later, they're covering up Battle's body. Garcia's like, is it really over? Yes, it's over. Can we now take you back to the hospital? I guess she had to go there to see his body to see for herself. 
Well, they were already was, on the way. Like that's the thing. They yeah. they they decided to to get over there and make sure that they could stop the guy. I don't know. Yeah. And uh, Garcia's looking over. They see the IA agent. Prentice is like, uh, don't worry about your reinstatement papers. He's going to sign them as soon as his head stops shaking. <laughs> I thought that was a great line. Uh, yeah, Mr. IA agent doesn't really want none of what the BAU has to deal with. <laughs> yeah, on second thought, I think I'll let you take the lead on everything. <laughs> yes. Garcia, you're back. Um, yeah, that's apparently not going to be a problem. And uh, Garcia goes up to JJ. She's like, I, you know what? I never wanted you to have to do something like that. And JJ is like, I never even blinked. You do whatever it takes to protect your family. I, I was like, ah, you Aww. go ahead, JJ. Yeah, and in retrospect, now I think she would, she would have, she would have said, I've been waiting all day. To share. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, me, meanwhile, Hotch is uh, asking how Garcia is. They're telling him that she'll make sense of it. Morgan says she'll make sense of it. And Rossi is there and he's saying, and you, how's your faith? Ah, so again, back to Rossi and Morgan and the whole faith thing. And Morgan says, uh, it's day to day. And meanwhile, JJ is uh, pointing out to Garcia that someone is watching her. And she looks over and Kevin is kind of looking at her and Garcia is like, well, do you believe everything happens for a reason? And they, she walks up to him and they're like, you, you. And he's, she's like, he's like, you're good. And he says to her, you're better. He introduces himself, Kevin Lynch. She says, Penelope. He says, Penelope. And we start hearing the sounds of David Bowie singing, We Could Be Heroes. Just for one day. Just for one night. Uh, and the episode ends. Ding, ding, ding. Ding, ding, ding. Aww. Garcia's okay. Perhaps. Yeah. Perhaps her quest for love was misguided, but perhaps she ended up in the right place anyway. Perhaps yes. Morgan and uh, his faith is back together. But what we learned is that the real friends were the workers and co-workers we met along the way before we do our usual after episode antics i just wanted to say i i really enjoyed this episode this was one of my favorite episodes of the series so far i don't have any particular ranking but this ranks high on my list i just felt it was super tight everything made sense to me more so than a lot of the other episodes this one Felt like, you know, I had no idea what was going on, but when we got the explanation, it just made sense. And I was like, oh, yeah, okay. She started tagging those files and he was like, oh, what the hell? She's on to me. I got to kill. Like, I didn't feel cheated by anything in this episode. Yeah, I think they they, they really set up a, a story which was mystery and we solved the mystery and it was nice. Uh, you, 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 like I said, you got the motive for what was going on here. And uh, plus the pacing, really, this could easily have been a slog if they had shown one scene and then cut to the other place and showed one scene. But right. they knew to splice them together back and forth. Yeah, so I was uh, really happy with it and thought it had good writing, good direction, great acting. So I'm, I'm on board 
not that I wasn't on board before, but this, I guess we've had a couple of episodes that made me feel this way, but this is, is really strongly this, felt see, this, this one. season. They really, especially with the changeover, it took a while to step back. Like, oh, who's this Rossi? How are we going to do? And like, and, you know, Morgan's still a little sus of Rossi. And certainly the fact that he attacked Garcia in this episode so strongly was like, whoa, whoa, hey, who are you? <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's just a shared trauma that's bringing them all together. And so like, I think they figured it out by this point. Yeah, maybe it was the fact that this wasn't a, a normal case. Maybe I'm always going to like those episodes a little bit better just because it's, oh, we're going to get out of that same old, same old pattern that we've sort of established. Although they, they have done it you know, enough times where there's slight tweaks to the pattern, but it's mostly still the same pattern. Uh, and this time it was, this time it's personal. Yeah. We got to figure it out. It's the nature of the show that the, if they, if they have to go to a new place and there's, you know, it's, it's the Scooby-Doo syndrome. It's like, oh, there's only five possible people and two of them are now dead. So it's only three possible people. We think it's one, but that's not interesting. So it's the other, you know? <laughs> right. So uh, let's pull out the barometer, AJ, and let's decide if they won this episode or not. I mean, this is pretty much as easy as you can get. Hey, it's a guy. There's the guy. Bang, he's dead. <laughs> so yeah, uh, this is this is a win. I mean, uh, they they protected their own. Uh, they protected their own house, and uh, everybody uh, bonded as a result. It's about as win as you can get. Perfect, perfect, perfect. I agree. Uh, so let's do the other thing that we like to do at the end of uh, each episode. We like to have a little thing I like to call three questions. These are quiz type questions that were inspired by the episode we just watched. Absolutely. All right. Let's start with question number one of these three questions. Now, you have uh, already provided a little bit of insight into it. I had a feeling you might have had this insight, so I kind of went a little bit harder with the question than I might have otherwise, but we're talking about Gilman Street. Uh, although it was not confirmed by anyone who wrote the episode, but like you said, most likely it refers to the club, which was a springboard for many alt-punk bands like Green Day, which kind of fits the Garcia style also, being a little bit bold and, and unique and different. Uh, so I'm going to give you uh, four names of bands. Uh, you tell me which of the following was not one of the groups that was associated with Gilman. Is it uh, Blink-182, Rancid, the Mr. T Experience, or the Offspring? Okay. So the only one I know for sure that was is Rancid. I've never heard of the Mr. T Experience. Is that the name? That is <laughs> the name I said. I, I really want to see the Mr. T Experience. Uh, it's an intriguing name. I love Offspring, but I'm trying to remember what part of the country they're from. Because to me, I've got this narrowed down between the Offspring and Blink-182. I think I'm going to go with Blink-182 as the band that is not a Gilman Street band. All right, well, all four of these bands in question are California bands, which would make sense for them to all appear at Gilman. But one of them is more from San Diego, and that would be Blink-182, so you are correct. Awesome. But certainly the right time and the right style. Uh, yep, And the right definitely. state. <laughs> yeah, I, I, like I said, um, that is my hometown area, although I have – 
like most of those bands came out after I had already moved to New York. So, uh, and, and, you know, this is where knowing who's answering the question, you can tailor it a little bit. (laughs) I had a feeling it might, if I just said, what is Gilman street? You probably would have come up with it and already answered that question in the episode. So (laughs) good thing I didn't go there. Perfect. No rewrite (laughs) necessary. Question two, uh, Bailey chase. is the actor who portrayed our unsub in this episode. He actually, this was not the first time he has appeared on uh, TV in an episode with uh, one uh, Xander, <laughs> for he was in many episodes of Bubby the Vampire Slayer himself uh, as a character named Graham Miller. So your question is, what was the name of the secret underground military-run government lab that Graham Miller and his friends were a part of? Oh, what the hell was that called? Oh, wait, is this? I'm trying to remember this season. I think this was the Riley season, which is probably not one of my favorite seasons. Uh, I mean, I know there was more than one Riley season, but there was the Riley season. What was that group called? Dr. Dr. What's her name? I was going to say Dr. Leslie Uggams, but that wasn't her name. Uh, uh, God, AJ, what were they called? This one is going to hurt because I know it, but I don't know it off the top of my head. When you tell me it, I'm going to go, oh, yeah, that's what that was called. I'm going to say it it was called uh, The Legion. I know that's not it. The Legion. I don't remember. Well, uh, you're close. <laughs> uh, this would be a little group called The Initiative. Oh, yeah, that's right. The Initiative. Dang it. And The Initiative, of course, was run by uh, uh, Professor Walsh played by Lindsay Krauss, who we have already seen on Criminal Minds in season one, mm-hmm. uh, when she was the uh, the very proper proper lady of the South. Mm-hmm. Oh, yes. yeah, I can't possibly work with you people. I'm a proper lady of the South. So, yes, uh, the Buffy connections continue. <laughs> Looks like I'm going to have to do a, a rewatch. I haven't done it in several years, and memory's starting to get a little foggy. Well, you can skip the Riley seasons. <laughs> yes. Mark Lucas. Um, all right. And now my favorite question. Each week, let's get to it. Question three. What will the plot of our next episode be? And this is no longer a cliffhanger, so we will actually be able to do this. Criminal Mind, season three, episode 10, entitled True Night. True Night. Night with an N, not night with a K. True night. Is it our team tracks a serial killer whose M.O. is to cut the power to homes and live with a family for a week or so, murdering them one per day in reverse age order? (laughs) Is it the arrival of the full moon, as we know, typically causes the crime rate to surge? But what happens during a lunar eclipse? The BAU preps for the worst. 
and they aren't disappointed. Is it? The BAU investigates a series of brutal murders involving gang members and discover that they seem to be very similar to panels from a soon-to-be-released comic book. Or is it when a bunch of bodies with the word liar written on them in ash start to appear, the BAU is quite confused as to what exactly the unsub is trying to tell them. Hmm. True night. I feel like you try to write these to trick me into giving the wrong answer. Hence the premise of a quiz. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, because you know me better than perhaps just an acquaintance you never really meet that often, you know me a little bit better than that, I think you know I'm going to pick the writing of the word lies and ash on the bodies. That's got to be my choice. I don't know why, but it seems so criminal mindy, even though option, the first option, which we didn't call A, B, C, and D this week for some reason, but. Yeah, that's just because when I wrote them, I forgot to do the little bullet points. (laughs) Okay. That's, that's fine. That was long and extremely detailed and was going to be my first choice, but I actually changed my mind once I heard the last choice. I'm going with the Ash Lies. That choice. Going with writing liar on the bookings. Yes. Yes. Well, no. (laughs) Ah, Dang it. Although, as, as always, some of these, some of these wrong choices are not wrong choices permanently, just wrong choices in the short term. Keep that in mind. However, correct episode. We will be seeing it's a bunch of brutal murders featuring gang members, which we're going to discover has something to do with a comic book. True night. Nice. True night. True and, night. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And uh, uh, again, we're in, we're in, we're in the uh, nice, nice pocket here where we're going to get a lot of familiar faces in terms of guest stars. So definitely Excellent. you'll be, I think, surprised by the one of the first faces we see. <laughs> oh, excellent. I can't wait. Well, folks, that is the show for this week. Uh, thank you so much, as always, for joining us. We hope you had a great time. Please be sure to subscribe to rate and review our podcast on your favorite podcast platform form and say that five times fast (laughs) and uh be sure to spread the word and let your friends know all about us you can also write to us at feloniouspundits at gmail.com or follow us on twitter at podcast underscore pendants pendants felonious pendants (laughs) watch out for those stolen necklaces (laughs) it's It seems like it's about a proper time for us to end the show, folks. For AJ Mass, this is Kentad Svensgaard saying goodbye and keep profiling. Wheels up. Amateurs hack systems. Professionals hack people. Bruce Schneier.